0: You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanizing work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about things that matter in your career and life, and how to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis, and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today we're in the company of Bernadette Jiwa, a recognized global authority on the role of story in business innovation and marketing. She's a business advisor, keynote speaker, and best-selling author of five number one Amazon bestsellers, including Marketing a Love Story and Meaningful, the Story of Ideas that Fly. Bernadette works with Fortune 500 companies, startups, entrepreneurs, and business leaders from around the world, helping them build their brands and become meaningful to their customers. In June 2017, Bernadette published her sixth book, Hunch How to Turn Your Everyday Insights into the Next Big Thing. Welcome, Bernadette. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Kylie. It's a thrill to chat to you. And I'm just ecstatic to have you here. I've been a longtime fan from a distance, so it's lovely to actually get up close to talk about your work today. Because as a fellow marketer, I've admired your work from afar from several years and mainly because you put the words meaning, love and story in the same <laughs> sentence as marketing. As, as a marketer, a professional marketer myself, that's kind of rare. Um, and you focus on helping brands tell their story in a meaningful way um, with really powerful results. But before we jump into that, I'd really like to just know a little bit more about um, the young Bernadette, actually, and what did she love doing as a child?
1: Oh, the sorts of things I love doing were drawing and coloring and uh, sitting the seated creative activities. Sitting at the dining room table and listening to adults. Uh, I my parents are both from very big families. I was brought up in Dublin, so they had eleven. There were eleven siblings in each of those families, so there were wow. a lot of adults around us um we lived in a little two up two down house with my granny and my uncle so we were kind of tightly packed in there and I was always surrounded by adults and I loved listening to their conversations and coming from Ireland of course people have a habit of chatting a lot there
0: yes you were surrounded by story f- from the day dot
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I always say that in in Ireland, you know, the kettle is just an excuse to actually sit down and have a conversation. It's not that people want to drink tea at all. <laughs> um, well, I'm
0: all for that. We should actually be sipping tea while we, inter- while we have this interview. But uh, what three things does adult Bernadette le- believe in now? Uh, well,
1: I've been thinking about that a lot recently and thinking about, you know, your first question, which was, what did you like to do as a kid? and, And thinking about how our backstories shape our future stories. And I think that we can't and shouldn't try to escape our backstory. And I say that in a really positive way because... Even, even the negative things that inevitably come up in our backstories are actually what make us unique and we should use them. So that's one of the things I believe. Um, one of the other things I believe is that small kindnesses are underrated and that each of us as an individual is more powerful than we think. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, I love that, not escaping our backstories, and we'll talk about that um, in just a second because that's really pivotal with the work that you do um, and encouraging people to actually own their their story and and put that out into the world. And as marketers, we are the creators of meaning and our stories are the places that Inform that meaning um, going forward. So maybe we'll jump into that. Actually, um, so in your in your professional work as uh, as a marketer and a consultant, how do you define what a what a brand story is and why it's important?
1: A uh, story, our story, our business, or product, or service story is the way we make our products and services meaningful to the people who will adopt them and use them. Uh, A company, for example, without a purpose or a vision can't succeed in becoming meaningful to a customer. So our story is a really powerful way to create value. And it's also uh, communicating what we're here to contribute and how we add value to the lives of others.
0: Yeah, and I often hear... People say that, well, i'm you know i'm I do this job or I'm in this business because um my purpose is that i I, I need to make money. Mm. But that's not what resonates with uh, customers. <laughs> you know, no one no one wants to feel like they're just constantly being sold to for the sake of it. You know, we we actually buy from businesses that ha- that create meaning in our own life.
1: Mm, I think if we if we think about personally any brand that we are loyal to, whether that's your local cafe down the street or my lovely little organic shop down the street here in in um, Melbourne. Um, there's definitely a sense that they're contributing something. That they're not just opening their doors to take to take every cent. Um, there's definitely something else, and and that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, altruism. We're giving to charity. It, it can be just. It can be something as being a welcoming cafe. Uh, you know, giving back to the community in some way. You know, whether it's a, it's a water bowl for dogs outside, you know, it's an indication that you're here to do something else. And I, I feel like deep down most businesses are in that business. I, I, I know very few businesses and very few entrepreneurs or CEOs who are just there to make money. I, I believe everybody wants to make meaning.
0: Mm. And one of the exercises I do actually with all of my clients is I ask them to write down a list of between 20 to 50 things that they believe in, mm. which is why I also start the podcasts um, asking my guests about what they believe in too, because we don't often interrogate our own meaning making process mm-hmm. because we, I think we get caught up in living it. Yeah. Um and often we don't value it enough um and so, I was wondering in your work, what do you think holds people back from telling their brand story and and how do
1: they get past it? Ironically, I think sometimes it's this need for success mm. and this notion of falling in love with our own ideas so we start to think you know we're so wedded to succeeding and we're so wedded to our good idea that we fail to step outside ourselves and be more aware more empathetic towards the people we hope we will be able to serve and towards the people who we're relying on to come and support us. Um, I feel like that's the biggest block to us doing a good job of telling our story Mm. we come up with these ideas in isolation i think it's it's a super good idea and instead of thinking about solving an unmet need for a particular customer
0: do you also think that there is potentially sort of that shield that goes up of of when we put an idea out there and it meeting with reality you know and and that absolute moment of uncertainty and unpredictability about whether or not it'll be um, it, it will be successful and, and and so we kind of shut down that vulnerability piece that authentic storytelling piece and put up more of a veneer of what we think people want to see
1: for sure, uh, a lot of the time when i uh, 'm consulting with clients one of the one of the things I reflect back to them is that um this website is not a window it feels like a wall um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't show me anything uh of what's inside it it feels like if i if i took away your logo from the top of this website and replaced it with the competitors that the story would still apply and i think that's a good test if you feel like you could replace your logo with somebody else's logo on on a website, on your website, then that's not your true authentic story. You're living and breathing there. I love that, that the website
0: is a window, not a wall. Mm. That's a really great analogy. The other thing that I know that you offer as a service um, and that you talk about on your website is the importance of an about us page on a business's website, mm. and we are kindred spirits when it comes to doing that in and consulting with our business with our businesses because it's one of the the first pages that I'll go to whenever I land on a website mm. because I want to know the story of who's behind the website. Um, why is it? Do you think it's so important that we have a great about page?
1: For exactly the reason you said there, um, mm-hmm. we underestimate how often people come to our website uh, and visit the About page. It's one of the most visited pages on our website. Uh, if your listeners would need, like to have a look at their analytics, they'll find out that I'm, that I'm not just making that up. In On most websites, it's, it might be the first or second most visited page. In fact, uh, the the... One of the most visited pages on my website, apart from my About page, is how to write an About page. (laughs) Um, That's one of my most visited posts. So it's the best chance we have to build trust in a digital age.
0: I'm really interested in asking you this question about what do you think are the crucial ingredients to a great About page? Because I have a list and I'd love to know what's on, on your checklist of a great About
1: page. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest <laughs> one is that it's not all about you. It's actually about showing visitors and prospective customers that you see them. Uh, people soon get very bored just hearing about what it is you've done and how great you are. There's a, You've got to have a balance between building trust and showing people how you can help them. And the other thing we sometimes forget to do is invite people to take action, contact me um, or e- email us or call us. We, we forget to do that and that, and we're losing out on a great opportunity there to invite our customers to take the next step.
0: And speaking like a human, mm. you know, copy that reads like somebody with a personality wrote it and it didn't come out of an auto-generated, you know, Commercial ease type piece of software. Um, yeah,
1: you make a good point there, Kylie. I, I think once we start writing for business, we tend to feel like we've we've got to get all professional mm. <laughs> in, in inverted commas. And you know, my advice to people is: if you wouldn't say it, don't write it. If you find yourself inserting a word that you would never say in conversation, then don't put that in there. <laughs>
0: A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And the other thing that I also see lacking on a lot of about pages, especially in small businesses, is the photo of the people or the person Mm -hmm. that started the business or who are behind the business. Mm -hmm. I actually want to connect with a face and, uh, you know, and and I swear people would rather, you know, stick pins in their eyes than to put photos of themselves on their about pages, um, in my experience. And yet, your to your point in terms of building trust, it's another tool that we can use to 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 build that bridge.
1: Yeah, and and we have to think about. I, it goes back again to thinking about why is this page here and who is it for? Who's coming here? And thinking about one person at a time who's coming to visit your page, and what what they want to see. What would you want to see there? How would you want to feel? And how do you want to make people feel when they land on the page? I, I feel like that's also something we forget. We, we, we think, oh, well, our, my website needs an about page because every website needs an about page and we forget what the page is there to do.
0: Mm. Mm. So what would you say are the essentials to crafting your own brand story?
1: Uh, authenticity, yeah. Um, And going back to your backstory, this is one of the things. I'm working on a new framework, actually, um, to, because I've actually gone through several iterations with clients of helping them to do this, as you probably have over the years. And I've come up with a framework that I feel like is simplifying it now for people even more, drilling down. So I'm calling this a story-driven framework. And it starts with your backstory, And to your point about your beliefs, you have to bring your values in there. And then what a lot of people might call your mission, I'm calling your contribution, your aspirations, which are your vision for what you want to do in the world. And then your strategy goes on top of that. So. You're, that's your products and services, and your business model, and and how you you're going to manifest the story in the world.
0: Terrific. So, you know, again, coming back to owning your story and what really interrogating why this business, why now, why me, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: why is this important, and then layering everything out of that that it's it's powerful
1: because people. We tend to actually underestimate the power of story and only use it as a way to describe value. Almost, you know, this is uh, this pencil is made from, you know, the barrel is made of mahogany wood, and the ink was, uh, you know, made here or. We we, uh, harvested our beans in such and such a place, Uh, and it's not just about the origin story of the products and services or how they're made. It's actually something that goes deeper than that.
0: Yeah, we're meaning-making machines, aren't we? There's Mm. there's the whole um, neuroscience that's now coming into how our brains are literally wired for story Mm. to make meaning and sense of the world around us, and when they're attached to an emotional. hook when they have emotional resonance with us when it embeds itself in in us in ways that facts and figures just can't
1: and the and the other piece of that Kylie is that people tend to think oh well if I'm you know perhaps I'm being a bit manipulative uh you know trying to find some kind of spin on my products or service. My sense is that if you go back to your backstory and understand the reason why you started the business, um, in every great business there is just a brilliant backstory from even a massive brand like Adidas has got a simple backstory of one man wanting to help athletes perform really well. Um, Nike, the same one of the brands that I had the pleasure of working with uh, was um, they they used to be called Vincard Elsafe uh, El and they're now Asablay Hospitality. The the What they do is uh, recodable key cards, those cards that let you into hotel rooms. And their backstory is incredible. A Norwegian lockmaker who... Um, who saw that that his favorite singer Connie Francis had been attacked in a hotel bedroom in the US and just thought this couldn't go on, that there had to be a better way, and went and invented this product. Incredible.
0: Yeah, so that the answer to that question about, you know, why why this business, why do this work? Yeah. It, it, um, in my experience, when I've asked that question, you know, why, 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 Mm -hmm. um, and drilled down and that's, you know, there's a technique, the five whys technique that Mm -hmm. actually can help people get to that. Inevitably, it always comes back to some contribution Mm -hmm. to
1: humanity (laughs) in some way I found. Mm. Exactly. Um, because let's face it, um, you know, business can be tough, uh, as well as it can be rewarding. So, you you are, if you're going to do it, you need to be very deliberate and intentional. It's it's never actually. A friend of mine the other day said, "Oh, I see you've launched a new book. I'd I'd love to write a book. Would I make a lot of money writing a book?" And I said please don't write a book if if that's your like primary goal and he he said but you know some people sell millions of copies and make millions of dollars and i said yes and they do that you know they're one in a million first off and the ones that do that don't never did it for the money so um there's always a meaning component there so I believe that anyone who starts a business has that need to create meaning and to take control of what it is they put out there into the world.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the emotional component to it, isn't it? So when you, when you, when you do put the words love and meaning in marketing, it's, it's not by accident.
1: It was a risky strategy, I still think, writing a book called Marketing, A Love Story, um, and I couldn't help myself.
0: Well, I, I, I'm I'm sold. I'm I'm with you on the same page. Um, I I also noticed that apart from the the your, the about page service that that you offer, you also offer services on branding and brand names, and you've done some extensive work in that area. And I can't tell you the pain that I went through to name this podcast. Mm-hmm. What What are some strategies you
1: have to come up with a great brand name? Uh, Voodoo is one. <laughs> um and and getting under the skin of the entrepreneur or, uh, or who is founding the company or the business who wants to release this product so I can communicate their intention as succinctly as possible and um you know it's part art part science sometimes it just feels like luck, and it isn't because you need to do a lot of groundwork to get to that perfect name. And when you do, it's it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things you can do to to help people communicate the essence of what it is they they want to bring to the world.
0: Yeah, and then you overlay the complexity now of operating in a global business mm. environment, <laughs> where you've not got to worry just if potentially it's you know it's a register local locally registered name but you know is the instagram
1: handle available for that <laughs> exactly. um, yeah. domain names instagram and all increasingly all of the different social channels and whose toes you might be stepping on so it's um it's it's a complex process too
0: yes but well worth um spending time to get it right
1: well, because you're going to live with it forever and you, you might change your logo. You, um, and it's interesting how much we invest sometimes in design and how flip we can be with the naming um, when we're going to live with that for a long time.
0: Yeah, and, and repeatedly say it over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of times. But I now want to talk about your latest book, which is, is just been recently released. And again, getting into what I call the soft tissue of business, which is, um, delving into the, um, emotional, uh, feeling side of how we actually make decisions, Mm. not just based on hard data, but tapping into our intuition and our hunches about things.
1: Mm. Yeah. So how, how did this book come to be? So, the book is called Hunch Turn Your Everyday Insights into the Next Big Thing. And I wrote it because I noticed uh, exactly as you're saying that people, uh, entrepreneurs, and smart people, leaders in companies, were relying, uh, leaning on data and they were not trusting themselves as much. They were trusting themselves less and trusting the data more. And I'm not saying you have to ignore every piece of data um, that you've got. But there are other kinds of data that are right under your nose in the stories in front of you. And entrepreneurship and innovation is built on trusting yourself and making uncertain leaps into the unknown. So that's why I wrote this book to remind people that they they have access to a lot of skills that they were actually dumbing down by just leaning on um graphs and charts and and things that were proven
0: Mm. so what do you think holds us back from cultivating our hunches or, or trusting our hunches
1: our fear of being wrong and the fact that now we've got it's it's easy now to to um say well the data said it wasn't it wasn't me the data pointed that we should go in this direction it wasn't it wasn't our fault you know this fear of being wrong is interesting because when you think about it when you were three you didn't care about that you were quite happy to ask questions and, and show your ignorance but as you get older knowledge becomes currency and you get marks for getting all the right answers on the test and we all know that whoever gets the most right answers gets the best job, has the nicest life and essentially wins. That's what we believe Um, and that fear of being wrong has stopped us. I think it's stifling our creativity essentially. Do you think it it also shows up
0: differently between men and women in your experience and the reason that I ask this question is because I remember reading a research study based on men and women taking tests and women you know and it was kind of set up so that they couldn't possibly know all the answers on the test and men would have a men were seen to have a tendency of having a go at at just choosing an answer even if they didn't know it whereas women really held back and didn't even want to
1: um,
0: have the possibility of choosing a wrong answer so they didn't even have a go
1: it's interesting that you asked that i was interviewed I was interviewed this morning by by um a guy who's got a fabulous podcast in in the u.s called john johns you'll know him from duct tape marketing
0: Mm.
1: he interviewed me at 5 a.m as i (laughs) told you earlier and what he was asking was uh, he said oh do you think some people are better at this he said well actually what i'm saying is are women better at the intuitive side of things and I don't think it's as cut and dried as that. Mm -hmm. You can't say that one sex is better. I I think a lot of it, it depends on um, what we cultivate in ourselves. Um, As individuals, we all have the opportunity to do it. We all have the opportunity to notice things and develop the three characteristics that I have found that these intuitive entrepreneurs who take leaps, uh, are able to cultivate, which are creativity, empathy, and imagination. The people who who are most intuitive and use that intuition successfully uh, marry these three traits.
0: So that's a that's a great segue to actually talking about um, how do we actually cultivate our hunches. Mm.
1: Well, we do it by noticing things, by questioning things, uh, by understanding what's going on around us, by uh, asking questions like what's happening that shouldn't be and what's not happening that should be. If you think about any of the products and services that we thought think oh that was a genius idea actually most of them were based on hunches they didn't have any proof that the idea would work they had to just trust their gut and go
0: that's true I mean there's nothing there's no guarantees in business at all and we don't know what will work and what won't work until we actually get in the arena and give it a crack Mm -hmm. absolutely so one of the one of the tools that you would say is to ask lots of questions Mm.
1: and the other thing one of the other big pieces in the book was about digital distraction or and not just digital the you know the amount of content we could consume the amount of time we spend consuming and not creating uh, looking down at our phones and not looking up at what's going on around us Uh, I feel like that's also, stifling our ability to innovate and be creative.
0: Absolutely. And it, it's so easy to be a consumer rather than a creator. And mm. yet, it's through the creation that we learn and discover. Mm. And not just in, you know, and I can hear the, the kind of recovering perfectionist in me thing, have, with an insatiable desire to gather more and more information and more and more data and more and more points of view and bef- that becomes to the point of paralysis of actually not doing anything
1: Mm. And the other thing is we want to optimize. So we always have our earbuds in on our commute. We're always listening to something. We're we're multitasking. We're doing 10 things at once and we're not giving ourselves thinking time. I was listening to an interview with Sarah Blakely, who is the founder of the Spanx um, Shapewear brand. So she took her uh, hunch from a fi- with a $5,000 investment to a billion-dollar brand um, that she is um, sole owner of. And she talked about how she's got four kids now. She drops them off to school and nursery or daycare, wherever they go. And her office is very close to, uh, to home. And what she does is she takes a 45-minute commute to the office. She sits in the car once she's dropped her kids off and goes the long way around and just thinks that's her thinking time. She actually prioritises that as you would a workout in two day. And it's interesting that we, we would make time to exercise or, you know, eat and do everything else that we need to nourish ourselves and we don't make time to think.
0: It's like mental hygiene, And it reminds me of Dr. Adam Fraser who talks about the third space. Mm. Have you heard of his work? Yeah, I have. Yes, so cultivating the space between one point in our day and another point in our day to allow that transition time from leaving that behind to being present right now before we then go and butt up against something new that's going to require our attention. And it's that mindfulness really, isn't it?
1: And how often do we do it? You look around you um at the airport and in airport lounges um the world over and you'll see that we're none of us are doing that. we or on the on the tram in the morning. None of us are doing it. So to cultivate our
0: hunches, we need to give ourselves time to uh, to ask questions and give ourselves permission to ask questions, um, to, to, you know, I guess almost admit that we don't have it all worked out and, there are the, and that there are lots of opportunities out there.
1: Yeah, we're, we're looking for unmet needs rather than... Mm. Uh, so to, to do that, we have to be in... We have to practice and look for patterns in... Um, and recognise problems around us and think about what we might be able to do to solve those problems.
0: So how, how do we take, how do we cultivate the courage to act on our hunches?
1: Hmm. We, have to, we have to just get over this idea that we need to know for sure. Um, and we have to trust our gut and go. If you think about where was the data for Google or Facebook or you know Sarah Blakely Spanx or um, Amazon or Starbucks or the GoPro camera or the iPhone, n- none of them were were surefire things.
0: That's uh, it's it's a hundred percent correct, and yet. In my work, particularly in the startup environment, a lot of the things that are holding people back is like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that when, you know, I'll do that when I, you know, have it all worked out or, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's perfected or, you know, I, ha- I have more data or I'm, I'm 100% certain it's going to work and yet that's, that's not what gives longevity. That's not what grows a business.
1: Well, if you think about some, we, the thing is, you don't know when you're going to have it all worked out. You don't even know when you start what worked out looks like. Um, if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg talk about Facebook, he, he'll he say, you know, we didn't even know what it was going to be. Um, we thought somebody else was going to build this social network that was going to take over the world. We didn't think it was us. They had no idea when they started what, what having it all worked out looked like. And, and the beauty of um, launching and trusting your gut and launching and trying and testing is that, you know, you get to try and fail and then iterate and let, let your users, let your customers um, show you what they want.
0: In writing the book, did you come across many examples in small business in particular?
1: Um, I got lots of examples in small business. I've got a beautiful example of um, the lady, uh, actually the couple in in New South Wales. They live in rural New South Wales and they've got this ironing board cover which is called the fits like a glove ironing board cover. They came up with this idea um, when people were stop- were not ironing. They, they were stopping ironing. You know, Hotel rooms are increasingly putting steamers in. We don't have ironing boards in our homes anymore. And yet they have managed to carve out a really great niche for people who still love ironing, who are perfectionists, who want this ironing board cover that's going to be a dream to iron on. So they, they've got a good going business with that. And when you think about brands like um, one of the brands I talk about in the book is GoldieBlox, which is the girl's construction toy, and that was invented by a young female uh, graduate from Stanford. Admittedly, she was an engineer who saw an opportunity to help girls, help girls to uh, develop spatial awareness because... Um, there were no construction toys that they enjoyed playing with. So she married their language skills with the construction skill by giving them skills, by giving them a story to play along with. So these are all small business stories, even, even, you know, behemoth brands like the GoPro um, that started with a, a strap to strap your camera to you when you were surfing. Um, yeah, every, every, I like to say that every um, you know million and billion dollar startup started out as a small business. We tend to see them as being exceptions.
0: Yes, and so they all started somewhere with a hunch that somebody had about asking a question of what, what, what if, or what might this look like, or what could this look like.
1: Mm. And one of the things that I emphasize also in the book is that. Um, you know, the next big thing doesn't have to be a, a billion-dollar brand. Um, you don't have to be going to be a unicorn startup in Silicon Valley. You can be the next big thing in your neighborhood, in neighborhood cafe or a seamstress or a designer or um, like my organic store up the road or a tiny bakery. You don't have to want to conquer the whole wide world you can make a difference to a tiny corner of it
0: and you also don't have to be a genius
1: well this is a genius is a loaded word isn't it that's one of the things that I wanted to um blow up in the book you know this idea of the genius trap that If you close your eyes and I said to you, well, imagine a genius, I can guarantee a couple of the things that would come out of your mouth straight away. You would say to me, Einstein, I see a picture of Einstein or Steve Jobs or academic scrolls or, you know, uh, PhDs, mortarboards, uh, Stanford and Harvard. And actually... You know, genius is much more ordinary than that. That's, that's a very narrow worldview of what genius is. There's genius in the waiter who's managing to um, you know, take care of a section in his restaurant or a nurse who manages to comfort somebody who's dying or a teacher who holds the attention of a classroom of 30 kids. That's genius to me.
0: Yeah, and so we all—we actually all have a spark of our very own brand of genius within us.
1: Absolutely, but we don't want to own that. It's a—it's a—it's a tough label to own. Mm.
0: Yes, it, and as you said, it's very loaded. Um, so I—I I just wanted to then kind of bring it back. So one of the things that you that you just mentioned before was about getting over the need to know. Mm. In order to progress further, so we're really having to break a lot of our earlier conditioning in life, where we are rewarded for having the one right answer. Yeah, yeah. and that can that can be a very confronting experience. You know, in, you know, in 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 showing up and, and confronting that about ourselves. Do what role do you think? having a support team around you or having you know having someone that you can go to and tell you crazy ideas or just talk through something with has in actually helping people you know get over that 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 need and embrace the uncertainty
1: um sometimes asking for advice and opinions can be a double-edged sword i saw um I saw Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, do something which I thought was peculiar, and maybe it's not peculiar to him because maybe he's got mentors in his life, but he put out a tweet the other day that said, you know, I normally go have a long-term view of things and I'm thinking about doing some philanthropy that creates an immediate impact. What do you think? And asked people for ideas. Of course, you got thousands of... I think you should give money to my ex project or whatever, you know, nothing that was strategic or aligned with his values or his beliefs. And I thought that was super unusual for him. And so that's what I would say is that you need to choose carefully your mentors carefully because it's very easy to squash an idea and uh, people who care about you and don't want to see you fail because they know what that's going to mean to you actually might give you advice that they feel is protecting you and it could be the wrong advice who knows
0: yes um yes often it's the people that love us the most that want to protect us the most um and and in doing so you know keep us small rather than being there with the net to catch us if it doesn't go to plan,
1: <laughs> and and not intentionally. No. saying you should me play a small game, but not not wanting to see the world beat you up. Um, yes, and and we know that with our you know if anybody who's got kids, you you hate to see your child falling down. It's just the most horrible thing. <laughs> so yes, you you do everything you can to avoid that.
0: And yet you know um, at the same time that resilience is only developed by being able to overcome, you know, that, that the moments when we do fall down Absolutely. and we have to get ourselves back up.
1: Yeah, but probably the best thing you can do for your child is to just let them go and not give them knee pads and elbow pads when they're <laughs> learning to ride their bike because, you know, they soon learn.
0: They soon learn how to keep it up straight. I think that I found in my coaching work that, like you said, be very careful about who you choose to surround yourself with to have these conversations with. Um, And in my coaching work, I found that when you can find someone who will hold a space for you non-judgmentally and enable you to talk through what your hunch might be and what your thinking might be a way forward and ask you some kind of well-timed provocative questions, that can very often be, you know, the, the the instigator of that person then being able to back themselves to take to take some action on their hunch.
1: It sounds like you're doing a great job. Oh well, that's that's what the role of
0: coaching is. But and I think that your book is actually what complements that whole, you know, that whole idea.
1: Well, I'm glad you found some of the ideas resonant with what you're doing. Absolutely. So to, to, to wrap up, I've got a, f- a few last questions
0: that I'd like to ask you. I would really love to know what three things would you like people to take away
1: from our chat today? Um, you're more powerful than you think. You have everything you need and giving a damn is underrated.
0: Mm. Oh, so well said. Where can people find out more about you, Bernadette?
1: My website is thestoryoftelling.com.
0: And you have uh, books and courses and downloadable resources, a brilliant daily blog? So it feels it's daily. three
1: times, yeah, it feels daily. <laughs> I love it when people say, oh, you write to me every day and I think, oh, I wish I had the discipline of my friend, Seth Golden, who does write every day. And then I think, well, it's okay. You feel like it goes every day. That's great. So three times a week I write there.
0: Which is a very empathetic way of communicating with your, with your readers as well because they're always short, snackable um, emails that are easy to digest. Uh, so, um, so I love that. I have a, t- a quick thing to finish up. It's called our 10 by 10. Mm. We have 10 questions and you have 10 seconds to answer each of these questions. Are you up for it? No, I'm up for it. All right, let's get going. Number one, what I like about myself is?
1: That I care.
0: I beat procrastination by? Uh,
1: creating triggers and routines that serve me, like having my gym gear at the top of the stairs.
0: A song on my life soundtrack is?
1: "A Beautiful Day by You 2
0: The world needs more. That's easy. Empathy. (laughs) Stand in the shoes of the people you aim to serve.
1: A phrase I live by is. Uh, This is a beautiful one from my friend Seth Godin, uh, which is at the start of this book, which is you don't need more time, you just need to decide. Oh,
0: just that's a home run right there. Mm -hmm. Something everyone must do is. Notice. A book that changed me is?
1: Um, lots of books have changed me. I, I think the ones that have stayed with me are the Laura Ingalls Wilder books from my childhood about pioneers living in cabins and just making the most of everything that they've got. Fear
0: and I
1: our friends something that always makes me feel good is doing a body pump class Mm. and number 10 my legacy will be Um, that's easy my three boys and my writing
0: thanks so much for your time Bernadette and thank you for writing some incredible books that from a fellow marketer have absolutely changed the way that I approach my profession so thank
1: you oh thanks for inviting me to chat to you Kylie it's been a pleasure
0: that's all for this episode of in the company I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life to make sure you don't miss an episode please subscribe to our channel and if you've loved what you've heard today please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company and finally if you feel so inclined we'd be super grateful for a review on iTunes